You're listening to HSBC Talks Business. Learn how businesses like yours are leveraging a wide range of banking solutions to maximize their success and how HSBC is helping them. Listeners should note that this episode has been recorded remotely. Therefore, the sound quality may vary. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Business, a podcast series for SMEs. Join us for insights from inspirational business leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts on key topics of importance to your business. Hello, and welcome to our Tomorrow Ready virtual event series for 2021. My name's Juliette Foster, and I'm a broadcaster and journalist, and also your host for today's event, Transform with digital. It is a big subject, which is why we have a fantastic lineup of speakers who are going to provide valuable insights and discussions to bring our program to life. I'm going to introduce our speakers, then I sit back so they can give us a very quick background on their roles and experience. First up, we have Roland Emmons. Let me give you an idea about Roland's background. He's head of technology or the head of the technology sector from HSBC UK. So Roland, tell us a bit about yourself and that wonderful, funky background as well. Thank you. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, everybody. So I'm Roland. I head HSBC's UK tech sector. I spend as much time as I can with our tech clients. I think I have one of the best jobs in the bank. In fact, probably the best job in the bank, but don't go telling my bosses that. Um, I'm very lucky. I get to spend a lot of time with a load of very interesting people talking about stuff I think is interesting. Uh, and I'm delighted that one of those people is joining me today on the panel in Jordan. So uh, I'm looking forward to a very interesting uh, conversation. Thanks very much for that, Roland. Listen, there's no point in actually apologising to your bosses because the secret's out, okay? You've just revealed it, but it's good to see you. Now, listen, next up, we've got Jordan Appleson. Now, Jordan is the CEO and founder at Hark. Jordan, tell us a bit more about who you are, what, you, what it is that you do. Thanks, Juliet. So yeah, as, as you've kind of mentioned, my name is Jordan Appleson, I'm the CEO of Hark. We're an industrial IoT and energy analytics company based in sunny Leeds. But what Hark do essentially as a technology business, we set up in 2016, ultimately to help businesses, large scale businesses connect their industrial assets, such as energy meters, building management systems, process automation controls in the manufacturing sector. And what we do is when we connect to those assets, we stream the sensor data from these processes, how much energy in real time they're using, what the temperatures of critical systems are as part of processes. And we stream that into our platform where our our users, our customers can see it, analyze it. They can get alerts when things go wrong. They get alerts when energy usage spikes in areas where it shouldn't. And what we then do with some of our more advanced customers is then automatically control these assets. Now, what does it actually look like, right? Um, when we talk, IoT in general can be this kind of ambiguous thing. And but if you take some of the supermarkets we work with, where we're where we're controlling um, assets in all of these hundreds of sites, what we actually do is take boxes, very secure devices, gateways, run our software. We then in this case, when we were very early on, we were working out of a, a small office with a couple of dogs and a, a few people. And we get these thousands of devices when we, we won a contract with, with a big supermarket. The, the company who manufacture the gateways, they ship them to our offices. We couldn't fit them through the door in this case, but the, these pallets actually contain boxes, gateways, IoT gateways that we have to then take upstairs into our office, provision securely with our software, and then ship them out to our customers where they're connecting them to their building management systems that effectively allow them to monitor and control the temperatures, the energy usage, 
in real time. And this is kind of the industrial IoT space. But we actually had to move these upstairs without a lift for five hours, you know, up and down, you know, when as a startup, it's not exactly at the time when we were getting when we're getting started, it's not exactly, you know, the, the Silicon Valley view that you probably expect with all these lovely Google style offices. This is what it start what, what startup life is like. And I'm fortunate to be here talking today with Roland about what that kind of journey looks like and what IoT is. But yeah, these this is one customer's supply of IoT gateways that we've then shipped out all across the UK and, and Ireland. And now we're controlling their buildings based on things like energy prices, occupancy, and ultimately that's saving them money and energy, carbon as well. So I'm really looking forward yeah. to talking today on the panel. Thank you, Julia. Fantastic. And think how much fitter you are as a result of having shifted those boxes. You know, we were looking at fitness and well-being in one of our earlier sessions. And you've proven the point. I bet you feel 10 years younger having moved all those I, IoT gadgets. I am absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I definitely, I remember feeling it after uh, the morning after the whole team did. We actually bought a huge, a, a number of pizzas and, and everyone had the morning off because it was just one of those things where everyone had felt like they'd been to the gym for four hours. <laughs> Okay, well, look, a well-earned treat. So congratulations on that. These guys have got plenty to say. I think you're going to get a sense of that from when they introduce themselves. It's going to be a good conversation. And let's get things moving, starting first with you, Roland, because look, during the pandemic, we saw an incredible acceleration in digital transformation for many, many businesses. But what were some of the key trends or changes that you noticed, what you saw from your vantage point? Thanks, Julia. So, so if we try and unpick a little bit some of this language, because technology is incredibly jargon rich. So what does digital transformation mean? So, so to me, digital transformation means the reimagining of a business in the digital age, whether that's modifying an existing process or, or whether that's around cultural change or customer experience change. But really, it's about trying to deliver something for the customer that makes their lives better and makes the experience better. So one of the things that we've seen during the pandemic is this huge acceleration of digital transformation. And, and that's been sort of co-driven by, by three or four trends around and cloud, which I think was talked about earlier on, the, the, the devices, mobile devices, the remote controls of our life, IoT that Jordan's talked about, and then you've got all the big pieces around analytics and big data. But if I try and bring that to life with some, some sort of examples people can relate to, so... Um, We've probably all of us or most of us in, in the old days have taxed our car where you used to have a tax disc, the vehicle excise license. So you'd go to the post office with a load of bits of paper, your MOT, your insurance document, your ownership document. You'd queue, eventually you'd get served and you come out with some more paper and you stick a bit of paper in the screen of your car. Nowadays, that is all done online. That is just a load of different data sources pulled together. You pay your money and, it, and it's all done. And that's a classic example of digital transformation. But but digital transformation doesn't isn't something that can only happen and is only done done by large firms. It, it, it can be as simple as moving from paper to spreadsheets to mobile apps. So a friend of mine runs a, a small business firm with about 12 employees. Um, his uh, ladies in the office used to get delivered a load of bits of soggy paper from the builders on a Friday afternoon and had to decipher them and put them into a spreadsheet and then get that paid through the wages system. Uh, he then deployed a very simple app that sits on all the builders' mobile phones. He knows when they turn up on site because he can geolocate them. He can message them during the day if they need to go somewhere else. And at the end of the week, that all gets pulled into a software as a service application and that goes straight into the payroll system. And basically, human beings are taken out of the process, speeds it up, makes it simpler, makes it easier, makes it more efficient. Everybody's happier. To me, that's a fantastic example of how the world can change and how the world has changed during the pandemic. 
So if we sort of break down what happened in the pandemic, I think there were probably three stages and, and, and hopefully the audience, um, this resonates with the audience. One was that a bit of that, oh my God situation, OMG, the disruption of the normal. What does the world look like? How do I establish my, my new rules of my market? And a lot of people, and, and this isn't just me talking, this is over 400 UK tech leaders telling me how they responded to it and what happened. And the message was, spent, I'm spending more time with my customers to really understand what's going on. I'm spending more time with my suppliers and I'm spending more time with my staff because these three groups tend to know the answer to most problems. And, and one of the things that I've been really pleased to see is carrying on is this closer engagement between businesses and their customers, suppliers and staff. And then you've you've got the second era around the acceleration of the trends. So we've just talked about digital transformation. We're, I'm delighted that we've seen an increase in innovation spend and, and a, an increase in new products and services broadly in response to how the world has changed, which comes back to that disruption of normal. And then you've got the third area around the creation of the new environment. Well, we don't really know what the new environment looks like. We're still working it out. Um, I'm a big fan of the fourth industrial revolution, which I'll talk a little bit about later on. But we are seeing the world changing. I fundamentally believe hybrid working is here to stay. I fundamentally believe that there are benefits of, to the individual, to society and to business of that, as well as a huge amount of um, ESG sustainability and, and sort of goodness for the planet as well. So quite a long way to answer a simple question. No, not a long way at all. In fact, it's very comprehensive. And I'm delighted that you referenced as well customers because the big conversation in financial services, especially, is having that seamless customer experience and using technology to achieve that, but also not at the expense of the human touch as well. So some great stuff there. But look, you talked about the fourth industrial revolution. I mean, how relevant is that to SMEs and well, SMEs in the UK? Because whenever we talk about it in the abstract, it, it almost seems as if it's re restricted to the top top 500 companies, only they can lead this journey. I feel like I'm spending a lot of time trying to explain and debunk things. So, so what is the fourth industrial revolution? So historically, back from the first industrial revolution in 1760, which was the, the creation of power from steam and water, pretty much every 100 years through to the 1970s, there's been an industrial revolution. So you've had the, the steam and water, and then you had the railways and telegraph network and electricity, and then you sort of had the digital revolution in the 1970s. And the fourth industrial revolution to me is that transition from where human beings make the decision to where the data makes the decision. Where you know, Jordan's talked about Internet of Things devices. That's a classic example of it, where the data from those devices lead people to make decisions. And actually, human beings don't even need to make decisions. So I believe we're living through the fourth industrial revolution. We're seeing a huge degree of automation. We're seeing a huge degree of, of uh, connectivity and data really driving the decision. But it's I think it's important at three levels to, to firms, and, and sorry to kind of come up with another list, but um, I think it's relevant because it's going to happen and the world is changing and we've got two options. We either don't respond to it and we run the risk of becoming less relevant to our customers and, and ultimately, therefore, less relevant as a business. I um, think maybe the Kodak example, Kodak came up with the first um, digital camera ever and they decided not to progress it because it would destroy their business model around films and print. If you think about it from the other sense that a lot of very, very early stage scale up, very disruptive firms can move very, very quickly, their fleet of foot. If you look at the time that the average US Fortune 500 firm stays in that group, it used to be 33 years in 1964. By 2016, it was 24. And it suggested that it could be as low as 12 years by 2027. And this is all down to innovation and all down to change. And you've also got this massive thing of what I describe as tech democratization, how you can, you can sort of rent technology off the shelf to a large extent to solve a load of problems. 
And that is part of the tech democratization. It used to be a case of to be a big, successful global business, you had to have huge, huge amounts of people and huge, huge amounts of money invested in in physical infrastructure. Now you can you can almost do it from a bedroom and create a global business. And in fact, people have done that. So I, I, that's that's sort of my take on the fourth industrial revolution. Well, let's stay with it, though, because, Jordan, you are part of that fourth industrial revolution. You are disrupting in a very positive way, I hasten to add. But look, for you, the key to this is the IoT, the Internet of Things. How is that going to develop over the coming years? And what do you see as the huge benefits to business? Because, yeah, as Roland said, one of the brilliant things about it, the concept, is that it's so democratic. Anyone can yeah. use it if you've got the will to improvise. Uh, uh, absolutely. I think that there's a couple of key areas here. I mean, ultimately, like if you take this transition into, you know, Roland's mentioned the fourth industrial revolution, the the key to IoT here, uh, it, it isn't really a technology. It's more of a it's more of a, a mindset now, right? What what sensors, systems, and, and new technologies enabling to be able to get data into the cloud is more data uh, that can then be put into into analytic systems to make better decisions. And I think historically, um, if you look at the, the industry, you would previously get data maybe every half an hour from things like energy meters. That's still good. That's still a great standard this day and age if you look at the smart metering, for instance. But from factories as well uh, and other systems, you know, um, that data might be day plus one. It might be a week after. You might not even be collecting that data. And if you think, if you think about what that basically means is uh, you kind of, blind uh, to a certain degree. This is a period of, of time where you don't actually have any insight into how things are performing. So what IoT is enabling, uh, I suppose, to, in this day and age and, and today is um, more connectivity with more granular data, which can then be used to predict and analyze data at a much higher quality. And therefore, the output of that data, whatever actions you're taking, they're more accurate, they're, they're more precise, and we're seeing that, especially in the energy space, there's a big energy transition going on at the moment. It's a big thing in the news, uh, especially given the, the carbon targets. And in order to, for us to get to you know, net zero for factories, for supermarkets, for retailers to be able to be part of that energy transition, the data that they require to collect from their assets, how much energy they're using, uh, things like breakdowns, things like uh, downtime, all of these things actually affect the, the, us getting to that, that energy transition. And if you don't have the data, you're 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 effectively flying flying blind, and then finally, there's been a lot of advances, especially over the last 10, 15 years, in analytical technology, the advent of the cloud, um, and and mo most companies now are moving the their you know their data centers, their analytical pipelines away from their their data centers that they had to maintain, which was a cost, to the likes of Microsoft Azure and AWS and Google who have technology now that allows you to, in an instant, scale up analytical clusters and scale them down to analyze that data in, in, in seconds, in minutes, which is unprecedented in this day and age. And how IoT works with that is essentially collecting that data in real time and then being able to feed it into these new and advanced analytical output, like systems with output that can actually drive business change. And finally, I think SMEs are actually in the prime position to utilize this technology because it's so fast to get up and running these days Obviously, from a security perspective, it's really important to make sure that, that, that as, a, as a small to medium enterprise that you're adhering to best practices. But we as SMEs are actually in a very strong position to, to be able to utilize this technology quicker and faster than some of those big, as, as Roland said, in the, in the Fortune 500 space, it's shifting because people aren't moving fast enough, right? Encumbered exactly. by size. Exactly. Yeah. The really interesting thing, Jordan, is look, let, let's go back to your introduction. Yes, we saw those huge components, et cetera. But look, we're talking hardcore tools. 
which yeah. you've, you've, you know, your clients are using. And, and that's the key. How does your company use the IoT technology so that clients can be supported when they're trying to reduce their energy usage? Because if they're doing it very, very well, then it means idiots like me are like, hey, this is, this is, this is good. Okay, I like these people. Maybe I can do business with them. And you're helping them to showcase what they're doing. So how does the IoT work in that context? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what we're doing essentially is taking um, some software and a device and and connecting it to assets that already exist in um, in these buildings but aren't necessarily connected and the visibility of the data, whether it's how much energy an individual asset is using. So we've taken what would typically be for, say, a supermarket, for example, how much energy they're using as a building and brought that down and segmented by asset level. So it could be their bakery ovens, their heating and ventilation, air conditioning systems, their refrigeration systems. All of these things use huge amounts of energy and huge amounts of power. And we're giving them that data in real time. So every minute or less. And then that is then used to make predictions around what energy they should be using, more accurate predictions. And then in real time, when a system uses way more energy than it should be, someone gets an alert pretty much straight away. So instead of it being a week of extremely high energy usage, that could be an extra thousand, two thousand pounds for that site. And if you if that scales up to a year, if over 52 weeks, that'd be hundreds of thousands of pounds in a single site. We're able to alert people to that in near real time. Not only that, with the advent of things like machine learning, we're able to forecast what that should be using. And if people aren't on target, if teams aren't on target, again, the system can take that and alert them in near real time. As you get through the more advanced stages of of deploying this type of technology, you can then do some very clever stuff like dynamically control assets and buildings based on predictions that you've got. So instead of someone having to go and, and switch something off or turn something on, or set a schedule, you have enough information to be able to predict what that should be to get the right energy consumption and automatically control the asset. And you know you're going to get that saving. You know that you're going to reduce your carbon output by X amount based on on these schedules that are being generated by the machines, by, by these predictions. Right. So, so just to jump in, you're actually helping companies prove their green credentials, because look, we all know about the relationship between business and customers. Customers are very, very savvy about who they're going to go with. And the green issue has propelled up the, up the political agenda. It's distilled into the public realm. So if you can actually show that a company is really, really good about handling its energy, its carbon footprint, then we might want to do more business with them, basically, because they seem credible. Absolutely. And it's not just got a carbon impact. There's now the business cases, the cost impact and the financial impact as well, it's kind of like a trifecta, essentially, you're getting to reduce energy, reducing cost, reducing carbon emissions, which I think is a fantastic place to be. Um, I love my job. This is this is because I'm helping people in multiple areas, helping businesses in multiple areas. And it, it feels good, to be fair. <laughs> OK, no, well, that's that's fantastic. You both like your jobs, I hasten to add as well. <laughs> yeah. the, light, the light goes two ways. But but Jordan, let me just shove in one other quick question because I haven't forgotten you, Roland, so please don't feel neglected. But look, how do these different technologies work together, the IoT and data analytics? And just to throw a spanner in the works, I mean, we hear about quantum computing, how that's going to improve e- emails, the email speed, etc. So how can you get all of these hybrids working together so that idiots like me think, great, you know, this is marvellous, it's seamless, I don't see any glitches? Yeah, no, it's 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 a fantastic question, and and I, and I don't know if I've got enough time to go into quantum computing, but I'll try. Um, no, you haven't got enough time to go into quantum computing. <laughs> However, 
However, if you you know if you talk to anyone who's who's been monitoring their assets for the last twenty years, whether it's been through phone lines or four G, you know, three G, anyone would say we've been doing IoT for the last twenty years. Why is it now kind of a a thing? Why is it a buzzword now, effectively? Um, and that in it in in and of itself is is almost it's is very true. People have been monitoring this, but not to the levels and uh, of visibility that you can now get with um, essentially new technology. We, like I said, I mentioned earlier, taking grant, like half hourly data down to one minute data. That's a third, you know, that's a significant increase. You know, from forty-eight readings a day to one thousand four hundred forty. What then that then enables is the data analytics, these new advent, the, the advancements in data analytics, which that's a lot more data. So you need more computing power. You need more storage to be able to actually make use of that data, make use of that information and turn it into something that's actionable. And so IoT and data analytics, well, not one in the same thing. They are effectively, one is a connect, for me, from my perspective, a connectivity piece. The other one is the data analytics, which is the, how do I generate insight from this data and ultimately to perform action, which from, from that perspective gives you the ability to reduce costs, the ability to create new revenue streams, to create new services, to innovate. And we're seeing that in the industries, you know, we work with, like I said, supermarkets, but we've also worked, we're working with companies controlling energy storage systems. So those big Tesla batteries that you see that take buildings off grid, our platform is essentially working out when is the best time to do that based on carbon, based on energy, and then charging the battery up when, you know, the, the, it's green energy and then discharging the battery when it's more carbon intensive and more expensive. And effectively what that enables is a transition to being greener. You can only do that with granular data, better understanding, better analytics. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing, isn't it? It's the volume of data that is coming through. It is so forensic now. It's quite head spinning. But Roland, come back into the conversation because look, we talked about the quantum computing in a very sketchy but thorough way. So thank you so much for that, Jordan. But what are the technologies that can make a big difference to SMEs? And more to the point, how can they maximise it? Bearing in mind that you've got idiots like me who don't really know much about computing. <laughs> I, I think you're downplaying your knowledge a bit, Julia. Um, if I can for a second, I you think really Jordan's don't know being... my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jordan's being incredibly modest because because one of the things that that I love about his business is uh, if I go into a supermarket and the chiller cabinet has broken and there's water all over the floor and I can't get what, whatever it is I want to buy, I'm going to be a bit disappointed in the supermarket's lost out on some income. Not only is, is Jordan's business doing the right thing for the environment, it's also helping drive the business and the customer engagement because if they know that the, that particular chiller cabinet is using more power, they can proactively go and fix it so they don't then have to chuck away a load of food and they also don't have the risk of people slipping on the floor because it's put the contents of the chiller cabinet all over the floor and they also can serve the customers with what they want. So I think there's that sort of what I would describe as second tier effect as well as the primary thing that it does. And, and that almost leads on to the, answering the question as well. So so I think it's about the simple stuff. I don't. I think people get overexcited about technology. I would say that. Um, I think too often people get dragged into the flashing lights of all the technology can do X, Y, Z. I'm a, I'm a bit of a simpleton, and to me, technology does one of two things: it either automates a process, back to what I was talking about, moving from paper into into an application, or it gets you somewhere that you can't get without it. And I think that's that's where Jordan's business does in terms of the, the data set. So it's about trying to work out what are you looking for that technology to do. So what is your pain point? What is your question? What are you trying? Trying to solve and if you can clearly articulate that question and it's not it, it's often not very easy to do you then understand okay what is the pain point i'm attacking and therefore what is the answer 
Um, most yeah. of the time, the answer is out there on the internet and you can go and search the pain point you're after or search your industry. And there's a huge, huge quantity of work out there. I mean, I guess the other thing that I would say to people is about is just thinking more broadly about your digital footprint. So in a world where we've been in lockdown, um, digital footprint for many businesses has been their business as far as the outside world is concerned. And, and most businesses, whether they're B2B, whether business to business or business to consumer, for most businesses, their website, their digital footprint, their social media platform could be their best shop window. It could be their best lead generator. And one of the things I'm seeing across a lot of firms at the moment is because they've been thinking and trying to address the challenges of COVID, that that, that shop window, that digital footprint doesn't truly represent what the business has changed into today. So one of my sort of my call outs and my asks of everybody on this is, is go and put a cold towel over your head and have a look at, at online does your online presence represent your business today? And if it doesn't, well, you may be missing a fantastic opportunity. And, and technology doesn't need to be any more complicated than that, in my view. Yeah, so basically keep it simple. Don't be intimidated by the, by, by the technology, but use it in such a way that you feel comfortable. And because you're comfortable, you can drag the best out of your business. Absolutely. And, and look, Roland, obviously you're talking to your, to your clients every day, but what is the secret? Is there a secret to bringing new technology into a business so that it can work successfully for you? Is there a secret, a secret formula that we can all tap into? There's a very simple way to make it fail, and I'll scare you with some stats to start with. 70% of all transformation, digital transformation programs fail to deliver half of their anticipated benefit. You know, to me, that's a scary, scary stat. Um, so again, it comes back to the simple stuff, and this is the same for businesses, no matter of your scale. Ask, why are you doing it? What are you fundamentally trying to achieve? Is technology the answer? If it is, fantastic. And then you get into the, okay, how do you do it? And there's, and there's, three, there's three parts to this. There's sort of the technology change, which is easy in inverted commas. You know what you're trying to achieve. You run a program, you, you change it. Then the bit that tends to, or the two parts that tend to get forgotten about is around the process change. So too often we try and ram an old process down new technology and funnily enough, it doesn't work or the human beings who are very bright and intelligent, we find ways around it. And then there's this piece around culture. It's about bringing people with you making your team understand what the benefit is of that change because too often people see changes as a threat. But if you can actually not, not necessarily do a sales job on people, if you can help them understand how it's going to make their lives better, how it's going to help serve the customers better, maybe how it's going to save the firm money and, and how it's going to transition the business, then you get in a much, much better place. And if you can if you can deliver the technology change, whatever it may be, you can flex your process to accommodate or or um, to um, change in light of the new technology, and you can help your teams understand what's going on, you're going to be in a much, much better place and you've got a much greater chance of succeeding. Sure. And I guess that as well, that there has to be a sense of reining things in that some, day, some businesses, whilst they may be tech savvy, they probably take on board far too much technology. So you have to restrain yourself. It's knowing how much is right at this stage of the business's evolution. I mean, is that something which, which you encounter a lot, Roland, that there are companies which are perhaps a bit too trigger happy in terms of buying all the technology, that then the very thing which is meant to make it easier to run the business becomes a bit of a burden? Yeah, I think I think we definitely have seen instances where the technology has got in the way of what the client is trying to do or what the business is trying to do. And then again, that sorry to sound like a start record, that comes back to that simple message of what are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? And and is technology actually the answer? Because because sometimes it isn't. Um, but equally, 
it, we we often we we see the other challenge where actually firms aren't moving enough with the times. And again, you know, I made the point earlier on, the world is changing faster now than it ever has changed before. We've got five generations in the workforce. We're seeing this transition to remote working. We're seeing a skills shortage. And, and they all bring new challenges of which firms need to respond to, because otherwise there's this risk that the world will move on and you won't be as relevant as you once were. Absolutely. And well, Jordan, there's, there's not much danger of you being irrelevant in this world because you've been on this phenomenal journey. It's taken you this far. And really, it's been astonishing. But you can't have a journey or do a journey without learning lessons along the way. So what are the lessons that you've learned? Because you've built this tech company from scratch and you're also taking it to different clients, regardless of whether they're in retail or wherever they are in their particular sector. But clearly it works. What are the key lessons? What do you want to share with us? Yeah, the you know my my background historically was a te was a technologist. I still am. I, I don't write code anymore. I'm I'm not allowed. Uh, I get told off by my chief technology officer if I, I go anywhere near any of the code repositories. But um, it's all good fun, of course. Um, but I think that the main thing is you know looking back on on, on these last few years um, with any technology, build it. And they they definitely won't come unless you people know about the technology, right? So, as a as a as a software technology business, you know, messaging, talking to customers, it it doesn't matter about what how good your technology is if people don't know about it, if people don't understand what it is or what it does or how it can help them, then you're you know I've I've been there and we've been there as a team. It 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 you end up sitting there and going, why do people not understand what this is? Why, why don't they understand the benefits? And actually, it's because you need to talk to your customers. At the end of the day, the end users of this technology, well, yes, we're connecting to machines. It's the human beings behind the, the, the processes, the businesses that we're trying to help. And ultimately for them, you know, it might be financial, it might be carbon, it might be a sustainability goal. You have to speak to, to those people. And actually what we found out massively, and especially through any digital digital transformation piece, you know, to, to Roland's point, around the 70% typically don't deliver 50% of what they'd expected. It's because there's so many silos in, in, in businesses. You know, you've got operations teams, energy teams, facilities teams, depending on the, the, the type of business. And what we found out is a lot of the time, these these people don't talk to each other like you know about the actual things that they're trying to achieve together, and that's actually a really important thing. So, uh, what that's what we've been learning, you know, sometimes the hard way, sometimes the easy way. That actually, even though we have this technology, people are at the heart of everything we do, and therefore we have to be good at the people, you know, talking to people, uh, helping them realize what they want to realize, regardless of how good the the tech is. So, I suppose that's the main key lesson. And also, if you if you've got an office, um, a lift is always a good idea. And you know, if you ever have <laughs> deliveries of thousands of boxes, so. Um, that one. That <laughs> no, forget, forget about the lift. The exercise does you a mountain of good. It's interesting <laughs> you were talking about silos and how you've, you've got office spaces and people working together in the, their own little batches. You could have been describing a newsroom there, but. What final piece of advice would you guys give around maximizing technology in a business? Can I start first with you, Jordan, and then I'm going to bat it back to Roland, and then I guarantee you, you'll both have a rest after this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I think so. Uh, 
it's kind of it's very easy to get analysis paralysis when you're like figuring out what technology you need to deploy in your business and to the point where you can spend months and months thinking about something uh, overcomplicating it and then not getting anywhere <laughs> very quickly and i think it's starting off you know with you know it sounds cliche but you know starting off simple i think what what are the objectives that you're trying to uh, to achieve you know is it you lack of visibility of data for a specific thing and you you know on, it's a it's a back of back of um, back of laptop exercise, you know, or it's a OneNote exercise of simply making some bullet points and going, okay, I need to be able to achieve this thing for these reasons. Are there any technology solutions out there that could that I can get started with really relatively easily, whether it's, um, you know, the old Googling my problem versus speaking to a technology expert, you know, many technology experts will give their time, uh, you know, generously to, to talk about a specific problem. But the biggest problem in I suppose underutilizing technology is is that analysis paralysis going oh I could use this project management tool over here or I could use this monitoring system over here, and you end up two months down the line and you haven't you haven't really done anything so you've got to you've got to start somewhere and it's got to start you've got to start small, and then maximizing it is about low hanging fruit right what's the low hanging fruit versus the impact and prioritizing those key areas of. I need to be able to see this data to be able to report on this, or I need to be able to get these people with this technology on their iPad so they can uh, they can do their job better. And it's 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 always it always comes down to either time that people are spending and how much time uh, is wasted, or it's the cost of the cost of not doing something. And if you can at least look at those on on a piece of um, I was going to say a piece of paper then, but we've talked about not going paperless. So let's go on to, <laughs> no, go we don't to do paper. on an iPad on a digital iPad with your OneNote you can make those decisions to understand how best to maximize and in, in planning a roadmap is always a good idea you know even if it's a short term roadmap as well and where you want to be by what by what point in time okay and roland I guess if you look at how some of the largest tech firms globally do it, so so Apple, for example, you know, my remote control for my life, um, they release software updates and then we in the wilderness tell them what's wrong with it and they release another version straight away. And that's a classic example of what exactly Jordan said of just just get on with it, just just do it. Um, again, without wishing to sound like a start record, as I was saying earlier on, it's about understanding the thing that you're trying to solve. Don't try and boil the ocean just try and solve that one thing um this is quite a sort of dangerous word to say and, and everybody interprets it differently but experiment and, and to me experiment means try something try a bit of technology try an app try something on on microsoft teams there are other collaboration tools available from other providers and if it works fantastic if it doesn't work try something different and, and that comes back to culture and, and, and about a journey and I think if you if you look at technology with the case of technology is a facilitator, uh, technology is not the answer. And, and through the sort of lenses that, that Jordan has done a very good job of uh, articulating, you'll be in a good place, I think. OK, look, guys, we're going to have to leave it there. But thank you so much for the great conversation. So many wonderful points raised. And look, I'm sure that we'll get the chance to hook up again in the next not too distant future. And we can talk in a bit more detail about quantum computing and anything else like the theory of relativity. We're open to any ideas here. But guys, thank you and have a great day. You've been absolutely wonderful. This has been a special production of our inspiring progressive business mini series. There will be more episodes focusing on a number of different topics such as starting your green journey, being cyber resilient and how having a purpose-led mindset could benefit your business. Please listen out for those. Thank you for joining us for HSBC Talks Business. To learn more about anything you heard today, 
please visit business.hsbc.com.